Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, it's the Friday News Roundup. I'm with CityCast Mallory Falk and Pittsburgh City Papers' Jordana Rosenfeld talking about all the stories we couldn't get enough of this week. It's Friday, January 20th. I'm Morgan Moody and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. We're joined today for the second time on our Friday News Roundup, but you're a two-time champ, uh, <laughs> Pittsburgh City Paper reporter, Jordana Rosenfeld. How are you doing, Jordana? I'm doing great. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, lead producer, Mallory Falk. Hello. Hello. This week, City Council introduced a proposal to begin talks about creating a committee to begin enforcing the curfew law that the city already has in place for minors. So, Jordana, what's the difference between the resolution and the law that we already have in place? Yeah, the uh, curfew law that is in place was passed in the mid-90s, and it requires that minors, it sets different times for different times of year. I think during the school year on a weeknight, it's 10 p.m., and I think it's Friday and Saturday midnight. Regardless, after those hours, if there are minors around on the street, the police are authorized to you know, check in with them to see if they have a legitimate reason. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a couple of uh, exceptions written into the law about reasons why it's okay for a minor to be um, out unaccompanied at night, like if they're on their way home from work, if they're going straight home, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and then the police are directed to take minors who are out past curfew to a curfew center. What What is that? What is a curfew center? Yeah, a curfew center is a place where the police are instructed to take young people who are found to be in violation of the curfew. Um, The law itself provides for, it says that there will be professional counselors there who will provide immediate counseling Mm -hmm. to the youth. The centers also typically offer like parenting support resources for parents. Um, But the, the kind of immediate public safety function is that like once the police drop the kids off there, they must be picked up by a parent or guardian and they have to stay there until that happens. So if this law is already on the books, if this is already a thing, like why why is it a discussion right now? What's the new development? Yeah, that's a good question. The law is currently on the books, but it is not enforceable without a curfew center because the law specifically requires that minors who are out late past the curfew be taken to this curfew center where they'll be connected with resources, but also where the professional counselors are required to make a recommendation to the child's district magistrate about their circumstances. If a kid is repeatedly out past curfew, the parent can end up being prosecuted. Mm. All of that is written into the existing law of like what a curfew center is. Um, but the city has not had a curfew center in quite some time. Uh, there was one, the I think the longest running effort ended in 2004, and then there was kind of like a brief revival of the concept under Mayor Luke Ravenstahl, but it seems like it was short-lived. Um, and so in the absence of a curfew center, a place to take the kids who are out past curfew, the police haven't been enforcing the law. There's no way to 
there's no way to enforce it because the enforcement mechanism specified by the law is a curfew center. Um, so when uh, Council President Teresa Kale Smith um, is interested in opening up this conversation again, um, and part of the conversation is, will we be able to open curfew centers or youth resource centers? And what will that look like? And how many will there be? Um, because that seems to be that's a really important part of the existing infrastructure for enforcing the curfew laws. There has to be a, like a safe place that you can take the kids. Does the city even have the resources and like the trained professionals to staff um, all of these resource centers that they want to make 24, it's about 24-7? Yeah, I think that's a really big, important question. And I think like this is obviously something that it's important to devote resources to, but what are the resources that we have to work with? Yeah, I think we're, we're definitely in the middle of those you know, staffing crises in all of these important like social service provision services. Um, and so, right, the what are the resources that are available and what are the resources that it's appropriate to allocate towards this? Like that's really also part of the conversation. I guess stepping back, do we have like any sense of whether curfews like this are effective? Like you said, there was a period when this was enforced, when we did have these centers. Like what is the goal of a curfew, I guess, to begin with? And does it accomplish that? You know, we've had a lot of media reports of youth gun violence and that's obviously a huge issue and we want to keep kids safe and we mm. want to make sure that they don't get their hands on deadly weapons um, but as I spoke with uh, Tracy Royston who under Mayor Tom Murphy was the director of youth policy and she oversaw the kind of tail end of the first big curfew center effort um, she said that at that time there was increasing gang violence and that's kind of why people looked towards this curfew law yeah. but that they didn't really find it had much impact on the numbers of violence. And, you know, she asked, you know, are we even sure that these incidents are happening after hours? I think it's not it's not totally clear that there is an after hours violence problem. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do feel like this is one of those solutions that kind of makes sense in your mind. And it's one of those like orthodox public safety solutions that people reach for. Um, and it's kind of considered common sense, quote unquote, that it works. But um it's not really clear that there is strong empirical evidence to support it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Um, I was listening to our sister podcast, CityCast Philly, um, talk about this issue. Um, City Council in Philadelphia back in December voted, voted to make a permanent curfew for children in the city there. And so they actually brought on a guest who's sort of an expert in the effectiveness of youth curfews. She's a professor at Temple University. Her name's Katerina Roman. Um, and, and she said that the majority of studies to date don't show that there's any significant reduction in violence or victimization during cur curfew hours. And she kind of echoed that what you were saying about it's this easy, seemingly easy thing to reach toward that doesn't necessarily work and often just leads to like an increase in police interactions among particularly young people of color and police at a time when we've talked at a time when there's been a lot of focus on trying to minimize those interactions. And I, I do want to point us back to the question that you asked, Morgan, about like the difference between the resolution and the law. The law that exists right now, it's it's fairly punitive. It's like already uh, the terms and the consequences and the enforcement is already kind of set. It's just not being acted on. Mm -hmm. um, Council President Teresa Kale Smith's resolution is saying, let's revisit this 
let's see if this is a good idea. Initially, the text of the resolution, um, you know, directed the mayor to convene a committee that would report back by the end of March with recommendations to get youth resource centers open by the end of May. My sense is that she has heard from the community that um, folks are not as interested in something punitive, something that's enforced by the police, something that leads to fines. Um, And I think that she's she's not attached to the idea of the punitiveness. I think she really wants there to be places for kids to go that are safe. Um, and so the resolution that's happening now, I think, is is her way and council's way of wanting to open up the discussion about what is feasible. Um, What's the mayor had to say about all of it? Yeah, Mayor Ganey has said that he does not support ramping up the enforcement of the curfew. Mayor Ganey's spokesperson, Maria Montano, said that, uh, you know, one of the logistical barriers here that that makes enforcing a curfew complicated is that it would require officers to ask people to show ID without a probable cause. Mm. Um, and the state of Pennsylvania does not require anyone to have an ID while in public. Um, and so also, it's feel like it's hard for minors to have ID that mm, they wouldn't exactly. often have it. Yeah, exactly. So that's just kind of one example of like when you actually look into the logistics, it's more complicated than it seems. The resolution that was introduced to city council on Wednesday um, is not prescriptive in terms of like, let's do this. It's Mm -hmm. kind of opening up the discussion of like, let's have a committee and talk about this and see if this is feasible. Well, speaking of, uh, you know, boards and committees, there is a children's book at a moon library that uh, has started a conversation around censorship of LGBTQT books um, at that library. So first of all, what is the book and why why do people want it out of there? The book is called The Hips on the Drag Queen Go Swish, Swish, Swish. And it's written by Lil Miss Hot Mess, who oh. is a drag queen. What a great name. I know. Come this on. just yeah. sounds so <laughs> delightful and charming. Lil Miss Hot Mess is the founder of uh, the national nonprofit Drag Queen Story Hour, um, which uses drag to um, – and I think the the line I quoted in the article was something about like – building, sharing love and acceptance through inclusive storytelling and Mm -hmm. using drag in that way. The book I found does not spend a lot of time in the Moon Public Library because it is so popular. Really? It's always, uh, I spoke with Kathleen Madonna Emerling, who's the vice president of the Moon Library Board of Trustees. And she said that it's a very popular book. It's constantly being sent out to different homes and there's Mm -hmm. a wait list. um, Mm -hmm. But kind of, so where the controversy- I gotta get on that list. (laughs) (laughs) I was gonna ask, like, is that common for there to be a wait list? for a children's book? Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure. I didn't ask that. I should have. I know that uh, Moon Township Library is one of 15 libraries in the county that has this book, so it's not uncommon. It's not fringe. You know? Also, this conversation is probably making people want to pick it up like a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, I would yeah. think so. Um, but the uh, problem, quote unquote, problem happened uh, when the library posted a picture of the book on Facebook. They put all of their children's books go on a schedule for to be the book of the day on social media. Mm. And uh, December 8th, 2021, this was the book of the day. Um, And it got, uh, I'm not quite sure, you know, like who picked it up first, but all of a sudden there was like a lot of conservative far-right backlash to this book. People who live in Moon Township saying, you know, this is pornography, this is not acceptable, you know, like this is not okay to expose children to. Mm. There was a national far-right media organization that picked it up and did a quote, unquote, groomer alert Mm -hmm. about it um, with kind of just like all of these false moral panic accusations that we're seeing all over the country um, targeting specifically trans people and uh, people and drag queens as kind of a precursor to attacking trans people. Yeah. And uh, 
the library was inundated with violent threats, mostly from people who were not living in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, the library had to close briefly. Somehow, like this, this issue made it up to the board of supervisors, which is the like town, the town council, and they invited some folks to speak at a meeting at the. Uh, Later on in December of 2021, most folks who spoke were supportive of the library, supportive of this book, you know, understanding that it's important to protect freedom of expression and people's freedom to read um, and the importance of having a library with collections that reflects everybody in the community, not just the majority of the community. Um, There were some individuals who who spoke in disagreement of the book and this kind of eventually died down. People stopped paying as much attention to it. And then in the calendar year since then, the Board of Supervisors has replaced four out of seven of the library board members. Can they do that? They can do that, actually. Uh, What I learned is that kind of every library system has its own rules. And in this particular case in the township, the way that it works is that the Board of Supervisors has the sole authority to appoint people to the library board. Hmm. So at this year's reorganization meeting... Um, given a ranked choice list of six candidates from the Board of Trust of Library Trustees, um, where there was one unanimous selection that everybody agreed there was one most qualified person to put on the board, and they also recommended that the three returning trustees who had indicated interest in being reappointed be reappointed, mm-hmm. the Board of Supervisors decided to, they picked numbers four and six on the ranked choice list, mm-hmm. one of whom does not have a library card, and said in her <laughs> said in her review that she had not been in the library in many years. Um, same. She has the same <laughs> qualifications that I do yeah. to be on the board. <laughs> maybe, um, maybe now's your time to, to make a run for the board. I did I did get a card though recently. So I do have my card, but I haven't been inside of one. But I'm also not trying to be on the board of yeah, any yeah, libraries. What, I mean, was there any explanation given for like why these were the people that were chosen? No. Uh, The Board of Supervisors do not have to justify their decisions because they have the sole power. But also, you know, at that meeting that I was at, the uh, Vice President Kathleen Madonna Emmerling and also the trustees unanimous applicant was there. And both of them asked the board, like, please explain to me why these are the people you're picking instead of these very qualified people who have already served on the board or who, like, have big qualifications, are really invested in the library um, and the Board of Supervisors refused to explain. They gave some pretty vague comments like, you know, this isn't this is just what we negotiated to put certain people in certain places. And then there was also kind of like a vague statement about like, well, we have issues. Well, well we don't have issues, but we have things that need to be addressed hmm. in the next five or so years. And and when I followed up with them to ask for more details and to specifically ask them if they were um, motivated by the library's refusal to censor um, LGBTQ books, they did not answer any of my questions. It's been a year that this conversation has been going on. Um, yeah, I can't imagine that the board is going to, you know, come in and and do a whole sweep, you know, to censor a lot of their content in the library. But what what is next for the hips on the drag queen goes swish, 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 and, you know, other LGBTQ books at the Moon Library? Mm-hmm. Um, well, something that uh, Kathleen Emmerling made very clear to me is that the book is not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And even if they wanted to, the Moon Township 
Board of Supervisors could not unilaterally remove a book from the library's collection because, I mean, for several reasons, but one of which is that, like, there is kind of an integrated countywide library system that this book exists in many different copies. And if people, you know, came to the Moon Library and their and the hips on the drag queen go swish, swish, swish was not present, they could request it from another location. Right. It's different than, like, bands at a school district where if it's out of the district, it's out. Exactly. Um, and the... There are very clear ethics and guidelines for librarians and for people who are running libraries that the Board of Trustees is very serious about. They're very serious about people's freedom of expression. Mm -hmm. They're very serious about treating all of their books equally and not even, I think, like saying, oh, this kind of book, we won't we won't put it on Facebook like that even is not uh, a concession that they were willing to make. The very scary part here is the mainstreaming of the idea that the existence of trans people or the existence of drag queens is somehow not OK for children. Right. And like that is the ideological backbone of like eliminationist policies. Mm -hmm. And so it's not as much about the specific consequences with this book. Um, as it is about like people publicly giving credence to this false and dangerous idea. Do you like to dance? Look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins, and so will everyone else there. Be playful, be imaginative, explore your magical realm because this is a theme party. You want to come dressed to impress. You must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum, its art, its education, and all of its community outreach initiatives. Get your tickets now to the 25th Mattress Factory Garden Party. They are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Yeah, there's a news outlet here um, that covers the LGBTQ community, Qberg, and they have been at odds with Joanna Devon, who is running for county council. Qberg's Jim Shepard wrote the story around the tweets from Devon's personal Twitter account, tweets which the publication calls anti-LGBTQ, anti-trans, and racist. So, Jordana, if you're not following Allegheny County Council elections— Understood. But <laughs> who is uh, Joanna Devon? Joanna Devon is a local communications professional um, who most recently was the uh, press secretary for Mayor Luke Ravenstall. Mm. She is uh, challenging our current Allegheny County at-large council member Bethany Hallam uh, for her at-large seat, which means that everybody in the county is eligible to vote regardless of where mm. they live. Yeah. 
We talked about Hallam last week on our roundup uh, after council tried to censure her. Um, So just for our listeners who haven't been following this closely, what were these tweets that kind of came under a fire or got attention initially? Um, They were mostly from 2015. There were a handful um, that were about Marco Rubio, the Republican senator, um, and were very laudatory of him. And she, you know, said in the tweets and later said to me that, you know, she's also a Cuban-American and respects him, you know, and their shared heritage. And so she has. So that's the justification that she provided there. There were also some tweets, uh, one in particular that that was referencing Rachel Dolezal, the white woman who pretended to be black. Um, for a long time. Mm. And the the tweet was, you know, something like, you know, if a, if a man can feel like a woman and vice versa, then why can't a white person feel like they're black? Which, you know, incorrectly draws a comparison between transgender people and white people who lie about their race for personal gain. Right. <laughs> Do you know how this or or if this will at all impact the race? Yeah, I think it's unclear. The um, Joanna Dovin uh, has said that she was inspired or she was like moved to challenge uh, Bethany Hallam after Hallam voted not to certify some election results last mm-hmm. year, um, which. Yeah. That, what's the backstory there? Yeah, it's it's quite a backstory. Uh, Bethany Hallam and Sam DeMarco, who actually is the the specific county council member who was trying to censure Bethany, one of the only Republicans on the on the board and Rich Fitzgerald make up the elections, the like county elections committee. I don't know what that is, the technical name for it, um, but they are responsible for certifying the the you know, results of our elections. Mm-hmm. Um, there were like a couple of precincts that had some outstanding issues that like didn't seem to be hugely consequential. There were um, some folks who were saying that we must not de- we must not certify these because we're not totally sure. A lot of those people were, you know, folks who would, you would call election deniers, people who were perceived as trying to sow distrust about our election system. Um, and Bethany decided to vote not to certify against the recommendation of the county solicitor and uh, the county executive, Rich Fitzgerald. Um, And she didn't believe that there were necessarily problems with the numbers that needed to be addressed. But her rationalization was, well, um, you know, let's show them that we have nothing to hide. Let's do whatever, quote unquote, due due diligence is necessary. And then, you know, prove that there is not widespread voting fraud, which is the case. You know, nobody has turned up proof of widespread voter fraud anywhere in the country. Right. Um, But um, a lot of folks criticized Bethany for that decision. Um, one of the other criticisms that folks have advanced of Bethany Hallam that Ryan Dito reported on this week in the Trib um, is that people say she focuses too much on issues related to the jail. Right. Like the move to censure her came out of her trying to get some answers about an investigation into some possible misconduct at the jail. There was a heated back and forth and she said a quote unquote vulgar word, which led to this whole thing. So, yeah. yeah. And she is really... In my experience of, you know, having gone to these meetings for years and and focusing on this issue, she's really one of the only people on the board, on the jail oversight board, who's willing to make people uncomfortable, who's willing to engage in conflict. And in my opinion, like the jail is a valid thing to get heated about. These are people's Mm -hmm. lives. People are dying. This is really serious stuff that affects the entire county. Um, And a lot of times the... The board, I think, especially under Judge Housey, has pushed for like a sense of civility, quote unquote civility, that I think, you know, folks would argue um, 
undermines the sense of urgency about these issues and kind of um, not everybody on the board is willing to push back at the warden and not everybody on the board is willing to ask tough questions the way that Bethany is. So then what are you going to be paying attention to when it comes to this race? You know, we've sort of discussed like what why Devin says she was inspired to get into the race to begin with. Now we have sort of this back and forth over her tweets, but like, what are things going to look like going forward? And I guess, why is this race in particular one people should be paying attention to and feeling investment in? I think nobody really knows what comes next. Um, I have, you know, heard political commentators kind of say that this is a an interesting or perhaps bizarre strategy of Dovin's that she seems to be primarying Bethany from the right. She is, you know, says that she's a an, a real progressive, you know, but a lot of her a pragmatic, progressive. a pragmatic progressive. Hmm. Um, but she does appear to be primarying Bethany from a more conservative wing of the Democratic Party. To me, she feels like part of the Democratic establishment in the county. And this is not the only race where that is happening, where there is kind of a more establishment candidate that's seeking to make a progressive candidate sound, you know, outlandish and like they have absurd opinions and and kind of trying to vilify the the people who are pushing more aggressively for change. I am obliged to ask, uh, what did Joanna Devon have to say about all of this? Yeah. Um, when I spoke with her, she she obviously recognizes that the tweets were bad and in bad taste and offensive. And she's apologized. And I get it. We all tweet stupid things. I mean, not always not at like that, that level. Not always yeah. like that. Um, but, you know, I'm not perfect. She's not claiming to be perfect. Bethany Hallam is not claiming to be perfect. Nobody is perfect or, you know, totally politically pure, as uh, Joanna said in her tweet thread. Um, but when I spoke with her, she did double down on, on you know, a lot of her criticisms of Hallam. There are so many things flying around in this race. And like one of the other things that is happening that Joanna Dovin has brought into this conversation is about Bethany Hallam's recovery. Um, that yeah, that she recovery. publicly says that she's in long-term recovery from opioid use disorder um, and was incarcerated in the Allegheny County Jail as a result of her substance use disorder. Um, and Joanna Dovin has publicly alleged that Bethany is not in recovery because she drinks alcohol, um, whereas, you know, that's a pretty, like, orthodox hardline opinion about what recovery is. Like, uh, many people feel that recovery is total abstinence. Um, it's also very personal. Yeah, it's also very personal. There's mm -hmm. a lot of research that shows that it's not really a one-size-all situation, right. one-size-fits-all situation, um, and that kind of abstinence only can be harmful for some people. Um, and so... That's a, a really tricky it's it got very personal very yeah. quickly. Um, and I think one of the questions that some people are taking away from this and that also Ryan Dito recently in the Trib reported of like, should candidates really just be tweeting? You know, like, is that right. a good idea? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the conclusion that he came to was maybe, you know, and, and that the, <laughs> the political person that he spoke to said maybe. Because there's some political candidates who are really good at it and some people get it um, and they know how to reach people through their social media platforms, uh, and they're not being offensive. Even in, even with whatever with side they might align with. Um, but some people maybe shouldn't have social media. That's just, that's my, that's my take on it. Jordana Rosenfeld is a reporter for Pittsburgh City Paper. We'll put the links to all of Jordana's articles in our show notes. Jordana, thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. Our team this week includes Mallory Falk, Elizabeth Kama, Francesca DeBecco, Meg Dalton, and me, Morgan Moody. 
Music is by Benji. And we'll be back on Monday with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. Whoever has my voodoo doll. (laughs) 